Well, I'd like to give everyone a really warm welcome to this morning's service and happy Christmas to everyone, and especially to anyone who is watching uh, online as well. You're very welcome too. Uh, we do have a number away uh, for obvious reasons, uh, but also some who are ill. I've had a few emails during the week of people who have got uh, the Lurgy, which I'm sure you know others who have it uh, as well. So do pray um, for those who can't make it because of illness. Uh, now, there will be a different structure to the service this morning. Um, I'll give a few uh, essential notices in just a moment, uh, then I'll pray and we'll leap first uh, straight into our first carol and then into God's word. Um, but in terms of notices, um, I'm obviously speaking this morning and James, James Mansfield, will be speaking this evening at the usual time of 6 p.m. Uh, there is no midweek meeting this week. So uh, Tuesday there is no uh, Bible study or prayer meeting, so do be aware of that. Uh, and... Next Sunday, uh, I'll be speaking uh, both morning and evening. And I should say as well that the services now and this evening are being streamed uh, online. So let's come uh, to God in prayer and open our service uh, speaking to him. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you uh, so much for this day. Uh, We thank you for this day where we can come and worship you. And we can remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would uh, give us the same joy that the shepherds felt when they heard the news that a king had been born today. The same joy that the wise men had when they saw the star in the sky. Uh, The same joy that Mary and Joseph had as they uh, beheld the baby in the manger. Uh, We Uh, have many things on our minds and uh, no doubt we are excited and looking forward to many things but let us most of all uh, understand better who Jesus is and what he has done in that that regard we would just pray for those who can't be with us this morning uh, through uh, whatever reason Uh, we pray you be with them and with their families and we pray especially for those who are in um, in pain or illness or in grief uh, you, we know that at Christmas time, this can often be a time where griefs are heightened and um, things can feel more difficult. So we especially want to remember them, uh, those who are lonely, uh, those who uh, aren't with families this Christmas. Uh, we pray that you would uh, be a father to them and they would receive special comfort even this morning. Uh, so thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. And we pray you be with us as we worship you. For we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll open with our first carol, and it's number 166, a carol which is traditionally sung on Christmas morning. Christians awake, salute the happy morn, whereon the saviour of the world was born. Rise to adore the mystery of love, which hosts of angels chanted from above. So we'll stand to sing number 166.
As I said, we're going to step straight into uh, God's Word now, and we're going to intersperse uh, this message with carols on the way through. So we'll sing our next carol in just a moment. Uh, But I want you to put your minds back uh, to the first Christmas and ask yourself the question, uh, what was it that made the wise men overjoyed when they saw the star in the sky? That's what it says in Matthew's Gospel, that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Uh, What was it that made the shepherds uh, not able to stop speaking about all that they had seen and heard. Um, well, the wise, man, uh, wise men didn't have a turkey in the oven, so it wasn't that which made them joyful, although I'm sure uh, we're all looking forward to a turkey later, or something better, perhaps. Um, the shepherds couldn't stop speaking for joy, but I don't think it was because of the presence around the Christmas tree. So what was it? What was it that first Christmas which caused so much joy? And I hope by the end of this short service this morning, uh, we will know what caused such joy on that first Christmas day. But to help explain, uh, I want you to imagine uh, that we were to have a TV here, and we were to turn the TV on, and we were to see that there was breaking news The news reporters were telling us that Russia has invaded the United Kingdom. Uh, The worst has happened, and they've landed, let's say, at Hull. Uh, A bit north, they've landed at Hull. And we see, even as we watch the TV screens, that Hull falls. Uh, There is no resistance, and the Russians take it over. And they descend southwards. Uh, We see horror. Uh, with horror that Grimsby also has been taken, then Louth has been occupied. Uh, They pass on to Horncastle, uh, Woodall Spa, Kirkby on Bane. And by now we can actually hear the artillery and the gunfire as Coningsby and Tattershall are taken. And we can hear the tanks rumbling down the road as they come towards Billinghay. How would you feel? What emotions would you be feeling as you hear that gunfire, uh, as you hear the bombs exploding as the army comes upon our doorstep? Well, that's exactly the situation that the people of Jerusalem were in when Isaiah chapter 10 was written, or at least it's a situation they were in about the events told us in Isaiah chapter 10. They were experiencing the attack of an enemy, not Russia, but Assyria, the great empire of Assyria. And if you have your service sheet with you, uh, you'll see inside you have a little map. We don't normally put maps in our service sheets, but I have this week. And let me just read to you now uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 28 to 32, and follow the words as I read uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 28 to 32, uh, follow the names of of the towns as I read. So it's Isaiah chapter 10, verse 28. It says, He, that's Assyria, the king of Assyria, he has come to Ayah. He has passed Migron. At Michmash, he has attended to his equipment. They've gone along the ridge. They have taken up lodging at Geba. 
Rama is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard as far as Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madmina has fled. The inhabitants of Gibim seek refuge, and yet he will remain at Nob that day. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Do you see what the passage is saying? It's saying that the king of Assyria is coming, and he is taking city after city, and he is steadily approaching southward towards the city, the capital city of Jerusalem. And he gets right up to this place called Nob, which is just outside Jerusalem. And we're told that he shakes his fist, as it were, as at Jerusalem in a threatening manner. The people of Jerusalem are threatened. Uh, their health is threatened. Their wealth is threatened. Their freedom, their family, even their very lives are under threat. Uh, in verse 24 of this passage, uh, God describes Assyria as like a rod, a rod which will beat them and afflict them. In verse 27, God describes them as like a yoke or a burden which will crush and oppress them. And in verses 33 and 34, God describes the Assyrian as a thick, a thicket of tall, menacing trees. That's the danger which Jerusalem is in. Now, I don't know this morning uh, what rod of suffering uh, you are experiencing. Uh, I don't know what burden you might be carrying uh, or what dark wood you feel like you are walking into. Uh, We love Christmas Day, don't we? Uh, But we know that we will have burdens to bear. Uh, We know that Boxing Day will come, the new year will come. Uh, with all its problems and difficulties as well. And it may well be that you have many anxieties on your hearts. Perhaps not the Assyrian army coming to invade, but other things, concerns about your health, financially, uh, even the lives of your loved ones or your own life. Well, whatever you are facing this morning, God is speaking to you. Because God had a solution to the difficulty, that's too, not too mild a word, uh, that these Israelites were experiencing. And he has the same solution for us as well. And the answer is Christmas, or better put, Emmanuel. Uh, you'll remember a few weeks back, if you were here, uh, we saw how God promised that a king would come and his name would be Emmanuel, God's with us. And we learn how King Ahaz, who was the king of Jerusalem at this time, uh, he was terrified of this Assyrian army. And God comes to him and says, don't be afraid. Ahaz, you are a son of David, and I promise you that God, uh, that David will always have a son, will always have a descendant to sit on his throne. Uh, You might remember we said it was like a, a father whose family are sheltering from a storm in a little wooden hut. And the family are terrified, but the father says, don't be afraid. As long as we stay inside this hut, no harm will come to us. But he has a teenage son called Ahaz, uh, the king uh, in the story. And God is trying to convince Ahaz not to leave the hut. Stay where you are. That's where safety is. 
Sadly, Ahaz wouldn't trust God. He didn't trust God's promise. But God promised, fortunately, that there would be a better king, a better king that was coming, a king whose name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And we'll learn a little bit more about him in just a moment. But before we do, we're going to sing again. And we're going to sing a carol, a song which speaks of Emmanuel. And as you sing this song, uh, notice all the references to Emmanuel and to this promised ruler who God said would come. So we'll stand to sing now number 464, O come, O come Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel.
So we said uh, that God's answer to the fears and struggles that Jerusalem was experiencing at this time was Emmanuel. And we see he is the answer to our fears as well. And we read that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Uh, I don't know if you noticed all those descriptions I gave of Assyria earlier as a rod, as a yoke, uh, as a thicket of woods. They all have something in common, don't they? Uh, They're all made of branches. They're all wooden things. And that's not an accident, uh, because God teaches that he has his own branch. Uh, He has his own weapon to combat the Assyrian forces. He says a rod will come from the stem of Jesse. And he's simply referring to David's family tree. I don't know if you've ever done family trees. My mum used to, uh, still does to some extent, used to research our family tree. And God is saying that a branch will come from the family of David. A ruler will come who will rescue his people, Israel. And he describes what he's like in verse 2. It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirits of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. God describes the spirit that this ruler will have. Uh, But spirit's a really difficult word to define. I don't know how you would define it. What does spirit mean? When we refer to the spirit of something, we mean it kind of its mood, uh, its ambience, it's a flavour, it's a taste. When you speak of someone's spirit, you might say it's a joyful spirit or a, a gloomy spirit uh, or a discontented spirit. It describes the kind of the flavour of the person. Uh, trying to describe a spirit is kind of like describing light. It's very difficult to find the words to capture it. That's actually a very good analogy, uh, analogy between light and spirit, because you may be aware that in the temple at this time, there was a candlestick, a seven-headed candlestick, which was called the menorah, which God instructed the Israelites to put into the holy place in the temple. And without this candlestick the whole room would have been pitch black. But this candlestick gave light to the whole room. And Isaiah is picking up on that image in this description. You'll notice he mentions uh, the Spirit four times. And uh, it seems as he gives this description, he's referring to the central uh, candle of this candlestick and the three pairs outside of it. The central candlestick is the spirit of the Lord. Then he speaks of the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. In other words, that this king who is coming would be a better candlestick. He would bring light to this dark world. That candlestick in the temple brought light to that room. But this king would bring light to the whole world world. 
And he wouldn't rule with cruelty and oppression. Uh, We've seen that this year to some extent, haven't we? Rulers who want to kill, rulers who want to destroy. But this king will not be like that. He will not rule with cruelty. Instead, he'll have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He'll be a ruler who brings peace and stability and security. And as I say, we've seen this year the failings, or the frailty at least, of human rulers. Um, We've seen our long-reigning queen uh, reach the end of her life. Uh, We've seen three prime ministers in about as many months, it seems. Uh, We've seen even, in a much less important way, uh, the England captain (laughs) fail in the crucial moments, which we won't dwell on. Uh, But we see the frailty of human leaders. Uh, They are not perfect. They're far from it. But this ruler will be different. This ruler will in fact be God with us. He will be God in human form. That's what caused the shepherds to rejoice. That's what caused the wise men to rejoice. At last, a ruler who we could worship. At last, a ruler who would succeed where so many have failed. And the wonderful thing is, this king didn't come with a huge army to destroy and pillage. Uh, This king didn't come with glory and honor and crowns and robes and majesty. Instead, he came quietly. He came silently as a baby in the manger, to proclaim peace. That's the wonder of Christmas. This is the wonder of the king we worship. Before we look lastly at a little bit more detail of what he is like, we're going to sing again and sing about the reality of how the great God of the universe stepped into this world, but quietly, silently, humbly. So we're going to sing now number 176, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. So let's stand to sing number 176.
we said, the answer to Jerusalem's and our biggest problems is Emmanuel, uh, this ruler who would come and we celebrate at Christmas because we know that he is Jesus, born in Bethlehem, uh, a descendant of King David. Uh, This passage describes more about what this king will be like uh, in Isaiah chapter 11. And it describes in more detail what his rule will be like. Because uh, when we think of rulers, we don't necessarily have a positive uh, image, do we? Uh, We think of rulers and we think of perhaps tyrants and dictators and we don't like people telling us what to do fundamentally. But Isaiah chapter 11 describes for us what this king will be like, far surpassing all merely human rulers. And he describes three ways, uh, three ways in which he will be different from other kings, uh, how he'll be the king we all desperately need. Um, Look, for example, in verse 4. It says with, uh, sorry, in verse 3, it says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Uh, It says that this king will rule wisely. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this yourself, but sometimes it's easy to make uh, snap decisions, isn't it? Uh, You hear something or you overhear something, someone's saying, and you immediately jump to a conclusion. And you're perhaps furious with what you've overheard. And all too often... What we've overheard isn't the whole story, and our judgment is rash. Uh, It's not fair. Uh, Sometimes we misinterpret something someone does, and we draw the wrong conclusion, and we don't judge wisely. But Isaiah says Jesus will not be like that. Uh, Jesus is not like that. He doesn't judge by the sight of his eyes or by the hearing of his ears. He doesn't leap to snap judgments based on simply what he sees and hears. Instead, he judges rightly. Uh, Everything that Jesus does, he does with understanding and wisdom. Uh, We often fly off the handle uh, at a moment's notice, but Jesus doesn't. He's always wise. He's always measured. He knows exactly what the right thing to do is in any given situation. But Isaiah goes on, and he describes how he will rule fairly. Uh, Look at verse 4. It says, With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Not only do we often judge harshly and too quickly, we can also judge unfairly. Uh, Who of us are not guilty of prejudice and bias on occasion? Uh, We want a certain outcome, and it prejudices our decisions. Uh, But Jesus isn't like that. Sometimes we favour our family. Sometimes we favour those uh, who we know unfairly. It reminds me of a story I once heard of a a bank who once asked an investment house uh, for a reference for a young man who was being considered for employment. And the investment house responded with a a detailed description of the young man's ancestry and his pedigree. They described his grandfather and his great-grandfather and his second cousin. And they gave this wonderful picture of what this great family, this uh, man, had been born into. Several days later, the bank sent a note rejecting the reference. And they said, we do not intend to use the young man for breeding, but for work. (laughs) 
You see how uh, we can be biased and judge, we can make judgments sometimes based on nepotism, uh, on our own bias and prejudice, favoritism. But God's not like that. Jesus is not like that. Uh, he will judge with righteousness and with equity. He doesn't favor the rich or the poor. Uh, he doesn't favor one above the other, but he judges rightly. But lastly, he judges and he rules completely. Uh, look at verse, end of verse 4. It says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Uh, the sad reality is that sometimes criminals get away with it in this life, don't they? Um, not all criminals are judged as they should be. Um, uh, we love it when people who deserve justice are given it. It reminds me of a story, <laughs> again, I just comes to my mind, of a uh, robber in the Netherlands, yeah, in Holland, and uh, he had robbed uh, a house somewhere, and as he was fleeing the scene of his robbery, he jumped over a wall and landed right in the middle of the courtyard of a prison. And you think that there's something quite fitting about that, that he got justice. But sadly, it doesn't always happen. Uh, justice in this life is uh, incomplete. It's imperfect. But Jesus will one day bring perfect justice. He will bring perfect harmony. And there was once a Supreme Court justice who had a man stand before him who he had to acquit uh, because of some uh, technicality. Something hadn't gone quite right in the process of law, and he had to be acquitted based on this technicality, even though he was clearly guilty. And the judge uh, had the man stand before him, and he said this to him. He said, I know that you are guilty, and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge, and that there you'll be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. And that's what this verse is saying, that Jesus will one day judge entirely, judge completely. As verse 5 says, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. That is why Christmas is good news. That is why the wise men rejoice. That's why the shepherds rejoiced. Because it, t- it tells us, it shows us, it reveals to us the king who we long for even if we don't realize it. Uh, It means that the person who bullied us when we were a child will have to face a judge one day. Uh, The person who stole from us will have to answer for that to God one day. Uh, The people who have hurt us and robbed us and deceived us will have to answer to God one day. And that's good news. Of course, there's a sting to that, isn't there? The sting to it is that we will also have to answer to God for the times we've hurt others, the times we've deceived, the times we've stolen, the times that we have caused pain. God will deal with us as well. God's judgment will be complete, so it must include us also. That explains the reaction of the shepherds when they first saw the angels. Do you remember how they responded? It said, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were what? 
greatly afraid. <laughs> they were terrified of these angels because they had every reason to be. In the Old Testament, angels often brought about God's judgment. And that's what they deserved. And it's what we deserve as well. But what did the angels say? What was their message to the shepherds? It says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, Jesus is coming one day as a judge, but he's come first as a saviour. He came to save those who trust in him. That's why he came as a baby in a manger. As he put it himself, I did not come to judge the world, but that the world through me might be saved. Uh, We should be afraid because one day he is coming. He will come to bring that complete justice. But in the meantime, he opens out his arms to us and he says, come to me. Come to me for the peace that only I can give. And he can make peace between us and God. Christmas tells us that Jesus has already come as a saviour. So we do not need to despair. That's why we can rejoice. And that's why we're going to sing in closing for our last prayer. Number 171. A hymn which probably better than any other rejoices in the King who has come. So we're going to stand to sing our last carol, number 171. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. <laughs>